This is a show by all podcast. You hear the music, you know what it means. It's another episode of Bucks on Nux. We're rolling through with episode 44. I don't know what the odds are on us getting to episode 100, but I'm feeling like after like we got our rejuvenation here in the, in the podcast, we are going to reach 100 at some point, and that would be a hell of a milestone. Speaking of milestones, we were off last week. It was Canadian Thanksgiving. I had to go down to my cousin's wedding. It was a beautiful time. Congratulations to Brittany and Brad down. It was a great time. Speaking of great times, I got my co-host Stu sitting here. How are you, buddy? I'm uh, pretty good, dude. Fucking first night of fantasy hockey, first couple nights, I guess, and uh, right back in the swing of things, dude. It feels good to be. Uh, it feels good. It's that time of year again, you know. Oh, dude, absolutely. There's nothing better. We're we're recording this on Thursday. The Leafs' home opener was Wednesday, and Austin Matthews is now on pace for 246 goals this season. I think it's probably doable. Um, <laughs> and you know what? There's nothing better than waking up on Thursday knowing you got the best player in the league by far. So. Speaking of what we're going to do today, I got the Blue Jays. We got some off-season preview. We got a little bit of over-under game that me and Stu are going to play and probably argue about for a little bit. And we got the Dylan Danis and Logan Paul and KSI Tommy Fury as well as a UFC event this weekend. We got to bang this one out quick. Give it a little wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. So I'm not going to waste any time. We missed last week, so we didn't get to talk about the Jays going out and getting swept by the Minnesota Twins. First off, what did you think of that, Stu, before we get into the off-season? You think bad pitch like bad coaching decision on the pitch in there like pulling Barrios early like what did you think dude we could go for hours about the about the Barrios pull but at the end of the day we didn't we didn't score any runs you know what I mean yep. so um something's got to change if we're going off season I'll, I'll save it for that um but regarding the coaching decision man like that that was uh that was brutal um I listen to a lot of Jays shows during the year and stuff. Obviously, I'm all in on the Jays every year. And they've every single like media outlet from Blue Jays, Blue Jays media always just chirps how uh John Schneider is way too reliant on like the analytics guys. I know Blair and Barker called them the khakis. <laughs> um and then most important game of the year, he, he goes full blown. Like it just didn't make sense to me. Um, for obvious reasons, but also the fact that even if it was the most important regular season game of the year, he still wouldn't have made that move. It's just the lights were too bright for John Schneider. Um, and then he tried to make a statement and it just backfired and blew up in his face. And um, can't believe fucking Ross Atkins almost like threw him under the bus in his postseason yeah. presser. And then, but then said like, oh yeah, I was sticking around. I got confidence in him and shit like that. It was like, felt like, I, I had a feeling he was going to be gone, dude. Uh, after I saw that, I was like, there's no way he's sticking around if, if he made that decision on his own. And it was, I was going to say, and I don't think he did make that decision on his own because John Schneider, right after the game, said something like, it was really like, it was, a, it was devastating to watch all that unfold. And it was like, so someone told him, go grab the hook. And I feel like it probably is the Ross Atkins, Mark Shapiro, that they're telling him like exactly what to do. Well, and then all of a sudden, Ross Atkins comes in, throws him under the bus like, or under the bus, like the little weasel he is. And I, I didn't like Ross Atkins' press conference at all. No, I, maybe one of the worst in Toronto sports history. But, yeah, at, honestly, but yeah. at, this, at the same time, I don't think it was him for, for like, uh, if we're just being clear, like for, in my opinion, at least it's not him. He's like the general manager. I think they have like a team of like analytics guys and like a deeper coaching staff that you don't see that doesn't come out on game day in the, in the dugout. But um, they, they talk amongst themselves. Um, and at the end of the day, like John Schneider's the manager, you know what I mean? Like he makes the, the final call, um, whether they go, they go back and they talk about like, Oh, it's the plan from the start. Uh, we're going to pull them. If wh what was it like, we don't want him facing this string of fucking lefties and we don't want him face we don't want him seeing no. the order a third time no it was like the the reasoning that Atkins gave was the fact that um you know they wanted to bring Kikuchi in so that they would sub like that that they would like pinch hit their right-handed bats so that it made it easier on the bullpen later in the game that was what Ross Atkins said and it was like that is the dumbest thing of all time and for him to have that take on it I just think it's it's a big conversation in the MLB right now as a whole is that managers aren't allowed to manage anymore and it's strictly based on analytics and if you don't follow that rule you're going to get fired because they pay so much money for the analytics department and they trust it and, and you know, the stats. So 
I don't know if it was fully in John Schneider's control. If it was, that's a fireable offense, him pulling Brios for sure. Um, like you said, though, it doesn't matter because we didn't score any runs. And the big thing about the Jays was supposed to be we could hit the ball out of the ballpark with the best of them, tear the cover off the baseball. Um, you said something about something's got to change. So going into this offseason, coming off the books for us for sure is Hinjin Ryu, Matt Chapman, Brandon Belt, Kevin Kiermeyer, uh, Jordan Hicks, and then Whit Merrifield has a player option that I'm assuming he is going to opt out of because there's no reason as to why he would stay. So you're losing Ryu, Chapman, Belt, Kiermeyer, Hicks, and Merrifield. That is a lot of key. Like Merrifield was one of their better hitters all year this year. Um, you know, Chapman was one of their, has been there for a while, cornerstone in that on third base. Like losing a big arm out of the bullpen with Hicks, losing Kiermeyer, who was a, a pleasant surprise. Belt kind of turned it on late in the year. Like, where do you go from here? What do you do? Like, do you, do you go balls um, out on Otani? Like, what do you do? I think you got it. I think if you don't make an offer at Otani, that's like obviously a slim chance that he ends up in Toronto, but you got to, I, I'd imagine. As far as the free agents coming off the book, I know Whit Merrifield, I doubt you see him back just for the fact that, um, and I wouldn't hate to see him back. Um, he struggled towards the end and he is an aging guy, but I wouldn't hate to see him back. Um, however, um, he was actually asked about the John Schneider decision. I don't know if he was on, I didn't, I saw it somewhere. I don't know if it was like a, if he was on a podcast or something, but he, he, he did not hold back uh, exactly. whatsoever and had some criticism of his, of, of the team that employs him. So I don't imagine that, uh, he expects to be back. Um, it, it didn't sound like a guy who was, uh, who was planning on sticking around. I'll tell you that. Not whatsoever. And, um, Chapman, uh, he's, as good as gone and you you love the defense but honestly dude um third base is a premium position as far as bats go there's not much out there as far we know like matt chapman is probably or is guaranteed the the best third base free agent out there but i don't know like a lot of years like it seems like the jays before chapman was in town uh the jays were like talking about uh pulling the strings on a deal to get jose ramirez which uh i would have loved um Never happened, but if third base is going to be, there's going to be a vacancy there, and there's nobody better on the free agent market than Chapman. So I wonder if there's a trade. Um, that's a position where there's a lot of premium bats. Um, a premium bat is what we need. So uh, I, I wonder if that's a position where they plan on on uh, kind of making some calls to some teams to upgrade the bats and, and fill a vacancy at the same time. Um, so there, there's an opportunity there. Um, is what I'm trying to say. Well, and maybe that opportunity in that trade to get a big name third baseman in to really shake it up. And this is the first time his name's been brought up, and I've heard it brought up by more than one person. Is Vlad Guerrero? You know, he had that great rookie season, but then he's just, you know, I don't care what his expected fucking hits are, or how hard he hits the ball to the fucking shortstop and grounds out every time. Like he's not producing like he like he should and he's going to want a big contract and are they really going to give it to him give it to him or should they save it for Bo Bichette because he's proven to be a like an all-around great hitter and everything like I, this is just the first year where I can see that if, if they trade Vladdy and get a big haul back like a great third baseman and a pitch like you know like something there I, I would be able to justify it in my head um I <laughs> I know that's been going there's a lot of people upset with Vladdy it just does like you can't trade him now. It's, he's at the bottom of his value. You know what I mean? Like, you just come off a seat and embarrassing fucking some embarrassing decisions, especially in the final game of the year and, and a down year as far as offensive production. I think it's he's second he's, down year in a row. It's a second down year in a row, which is the worst part. Yeah, but even at a down year, he was still our second best hitter all year. Like, let's not get that wrong. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but I think that says more to do our better hitting than, than what he brought to the table, right? So, Vladdy's supposed to be. A everyone say a triple crown guy. He hits the cover off the baseball, and he just you know the last few years like he just man he just has not been that. He hit two sixty four this year, two seventy four last year, and not showing as much power. He has twenty six homers this year and ninety four um, ninety four RBIs, but he struck out a hundred times this year. Like he he was swinging and missing at a lot. I feel like pitchers maybe found him out, and I think Vladdy at the bottom of his trade value can still pull us a shit ton, like more than all, a lot of other players in the entire league. I don't necessarily think trading Vladdy is the right thing to do, but fuck man, if he goes out and has another bad season, like then you're, then what? Yeah, but there's, 
I don't think it looks bad on the on the front office if that's what you're suggesting. If they don't trade him, like I don't no, think no. that it would be. It, it, there's a better chance of it turning sour than it is being good, like it, trading him now. You know what I mean? Like I don't think you're gonna trading Vladdy um, is gonna bring you anything back that improves our offense in a way. You know what I mean? Like I don't. Oh, dude! If you put if you put Vladdy in a trade, you could definitely get Jose Ramirez and some like you could get a lot for Vladdy Guerrero. Like he's he is going to command. A yeah, but then you're down player. a Vladdy in your lineup, though. He's still a productive hitter at the end of the day. It's just because it's if you take two, two six. What did he hit? Like two two sixty with four with a three forty five on base percentage. What was the OPS number? Because that's kind of the best judge of it. The OPS was stats. only seven eighty nine. The worst of his. But if career. you if you take a seven eighty nine. Hitter at uh, that's a good that's a above average major league hitter and you're, you're if that's an average player hitting seven eighty or the seven eighty nine OPS you'll take that every day of the week. So you you know what I'm saying it's still but a productive bat. It's just the fact that he's not. I know it's not supposed to be above average, above average hitter, right? He came in forty eight homers, one hundred and eleven RBIs, and three eleven, and he has never even touched anything in terms of the power, the RBIs, the OPS, the average, the on base percent. He hasn't touched it in four years, three years now since that happened. A hundred percent, but there's upside still there, in my opinion. Yeah. Obviously, we see we seen him fucking hit. His OPS was over a thousand the one year. You know what yep. I'm saying? Yep. We that's know it's a down year. season. We know it's it 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 has the there's an, there's a chance it it bounces back in a big way. So I wouldn't fucking give up on that upside just to have Jose Ramirez, but then also lose Vladdy, and then you're still stuck in the same position with maybe if Vladdy goes out next year and he's out in fucking Cleveland. And he has uh, a similar season than he does this year, but we got Jose Ramirez. Maybe our lineup's a little bit better, but you're still missing a cleanup hitter. You know what I mean? I think if you, I think if you add a good hitter that can, if you if you add a guy that hits 40 bombs behind Vladdy, he has a much better season. I'll say that for sure. If Brandon Belt's your cleanup hitter, you're not winning a World Series. Yeah, and and, and that that is that is true. Like like I said, I'm playing devil's advocate here. I don't think you should trade Vladdy Guerrero. Um, but I do think, you know, if he has a third, you know, down season, then you got to start questioning it. He's not that triple crown, 40 homer, 100 RBI, 300 average. He is just like that 260 for 30 homers and and not 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 your number three hitter. And that's where it starts to get sketchy because like he's still going to want money because he had that great season. and He's young in that upside, but he hasn't shown it in a few years. Like it, it gets sketchy. And speaking of getting sketchy with guys here, like moving on from Vladdy is Alec Manoa. Yeah. What do you? What's the prediction from Alec Manoa for next season? Like, does he even make the fucking rotate? Like, I just I don't get it because he was signing so great and then he was so so bad. Like, didn't look like himself at all the whole season. Then went down to AAA and was like, I'm not playing, and never came back up. And it's like, oh shit, what's going on here? Like, what the hell is gonna like? He's gonna get nothing on the trade market either. But like, what do you do? Yeah, the, I don't know. I, I, I almost want to chalk it up and just be like, okay, he's young. He'll figure it out eventually because like that attitude after being sent down, it's like, dude, you didn't perform well enough to be, to be considered an option here. Like, you know what I mean? You can't be, you can't be mad at the team for sending you down. Like you were holding us back and we needed that free up that spot. You know what I mean? He wasn't going to pitch in the playoffs and the two games and that as well, but not a main appearance. Like, yeah. So go down, figure some, and come back next season. He was just—I uh, guess he doesn't have it, and and um, there's got to be some self accountability there. But uh, if he decides that uh, he's over, and the steam starts fucking shooting from, stop shooting from his fucking ears, and uh, he decides to grow up a little bit, um, <laughs> I think I, th- I think uh, maybe he makes the lineup again. Maybe he's a productive pitcher again. He's got to lose weight. He's got to get, yes. got to be in better shape and he's got to, he's got to like absorb criticism. Like you can't and accept it. You can't just be fucking, you can't just do your own thing. Expect to have a fucking 20 year career here. You know what I mean? Well, you can't have one good season and then yeah, expect to just be that great. When it, when he came into training camp this year, it was one of the first things that I said was that when you saw him getting told that he was uh, like the starting pitcher on opening day, I'm like, dude, he do, he looks fat. Like, and I mean that respectfully because I'm also fat. Like, dude, like the guy just looked out of shape. It didn't look like a guy who really took his training seriously in the offseason. It looked like a guy who was like, I'm a Cy Young pitcher regardless. I could just walk in here and do it. And yeah. it, ju- it just didn't happen. And, you know, that's why I said, like, it's funny because do you go balls in, out on Otani? Because now that he can't pitch for this next season, like, does Otani, like, 
what, what do you pay him now? Like I was joking with the boys. Like, remember you and I had that conversation. Does he make more than 550 million or something? And I said, no. And you were like, are you dumb? Yes. He lost like 300 million now that he can't pitch next year. And he's got to get Tommy John like on his contract. Like he was going to get seven, like probably 700, 600 million. And now he's probably going to get what? Four. Five. I don't know. I think he still clears fucking. He, he's still going to be the fattest contract in baseball for sure. Oh, for sure. And he deserves it. Like I said, I, I think that, and listen to the wording of this carefully, I think Shohei Otani is the best player of baseball ever. Like, if you're talking about the game of baseball, there's no one that could do more on the field than fucking Shohei Otani, where he's a great pitcher and a great fucking hitter and he's got speed and, and whatever else. There's nobody that's been able to do that. Um, but. With the Jays, like like you said, the, dude, the free agent market, Matt Chapman's the best third baseman that's on the market. It's a fucking weak market this year. You're going to have to do something in the trade market. Um, I don't like the last few years, semi, like letting Semyon walk, letting Ray walk, like trading Gurriel, trading Teoscar, and just bringing back, I don't know, not much. Like, those were big corner pieces, and they, they were productive for us for long periods of time with this team, and they just... Well, Semyon and Ray, but like Ray won a fucking Cy Young and Semyon was like an MVP type hitter that that year. But um, either way, it's going to be a long fucking offseason and we're going to be here to break every single move, uh, move down and, and every single rumor down with the Jays. But uh, it's, it's kind of tough times, tough times out here for the Jays where you don't really know their direction because they're just not good enough. Yeah, um, I think, yeah, I think they definitely need um, a hitter for sure. Yep. Here, Meyer, I don't know. Kiermaier might not be back, no, he's and it not. doesn't really bother me. Yep. Doesn't bother me that much, but they need a guy that can hit cleanup. And then beyond that, you're looking next year for some some younger guys to make some statements here. I think Biggio is probably going to get a larger role. Might get the might start at second base next year for, or maybe left field. Um, Varsho, obviously, you want him to improve, especially seeing what Arizona is now doing. Um, Moreno hit a huge home run to sweep the Do- and help sweep the Dodgers the other night. Um, so you you want to see some some progress from Varsho and that move to center field. So now you have left field open. So that leaves um, not, then you're looking if left field and second base Merrifield's going to be on. You're looking for Biggio to take a step. He had a good end to the season. He was he was he's probably our worst hitter at the start of the season, and then quickly. <laughs> or not quickly, but by the end of the season, ended up one of, one of our most reliable and was in the top half of the order there for, for the playoff games against the Twins. So you're looking for him to kind of continue that, take that into next season, be a productive player as a, as an everyday guy. Uh, Davis Schneider, I don't know. I know he's played left field in the minors a lot, but uh, second baseman is kind of what we were told when he came up. Um, so it's kind of going to be a battle there, but he, I like. I think he'll be a productive hitter. Um, we'll see what he does with a with the full season of work, and then third base. I'm looking to make a move. I don't think there's anybody there um, um, on the team right now that can feel that you'd be looking. Well, they at, have like, that. They have that Arelvis Martinez, who's been in the system for a while. Well, I was going to mention him. I was going to mention him, but he, he, I don't think I don't know if he's a third baseman. Um, well, they moved him from shortstop to third base when okay. they signed Bo, but like he's not the answer either, right? Like an unproven guy. They need they need to make a move and get it. They also need uh, pieces that they've picked up over the last few years, like Varsho, like Springer, even like they they need to step up and have a good like a way better season to hit like they have their whole career because like Springer struck out 125 times this year. That's that's the most he's struck out since uh, 2016. Um, you know, Springer's there though. There's nothing you can do about Springer, and, and I think. I don't no, know, but- maybe after a brutal season, and his defense was good. So, but I, I knew I said I'm pretty sure I said right from the start of the when we started mentioning this. If if George Springer's defense is going to be the fucking, it's going to be the highlight of his season. We're in trouble. Uh, we're in trouble. So, yeah. in in, okay. in it was it was unfortunately. So I think he bounces back. I mean, George Springer's a veteran guy. I think he kind of figures it out, and he has a good season. Um, George Springer, I'm happy with in right field. Varsho, I'm happy with defensively in center field. We look to uh, make yep. some progress there. Left field's up for grabs. Might be Biggio, might be Davis Schneider. Um, those both those guys need a uh, need to show some progress. Um, Biggio over full course of a season. Davis Schneider, maybe not progress because um, we don't know really what he is, um, but just show that he's a productive bat um, for the length of a season. Um, Vlad's Vlad. Um, we already talked about him. Second base is similar to left field, up for grabs. Shortstop, Bo is going to be Bo. Third base, um, 
that that's where it kind of gets iffy for me. Is it a trade that works out? I don't think you can start. I like Aralvis Martinez a lot, and I and I think he has some great upside, and I'm and I'm very excited to see what he can do. But if you're going to the season like saying, all right, Aralvis Martinez, you're our, our everyday third baseman, it's kind of letting it's kind of a letdown to Jays fans who expect to be a winning team every year because you don't you don't know what he's going to be. You know what I mean? Doesn't yeah, hit for come. doesn't hit for great good. Yeah, average. You know what I mean. Line up and hit eighth, and what third baseman in any fucking team hits eighth? Like you got to have yeah. a prime position. He's got to be good. Um, and yeah, I I completely agree. If we're coming into this, you can't just hand Arelvis Martinez a job because you don't know how the fuck it's gonna go. Like it could yeah. be really bad, and then what? You have nothing to go with it. And then the rotation. I like the rotation. Losing Hicks out of the bullpen. You hope that you can maybe bring him back. I don't think you will be able to. Um, just because he's a fireballer, I think someone will give him a stupid amount of money to go throw the ball hard somewhere. Yeah. Um, but. Like I said, a lot of a lot of things up for grabs, but because we got 20 minutes before we got to get the hell out of here, let's move along to the NHL, Stu. I got a little game for us to play. Um, I'm going to give you a, a scenario and some stats. You're gonna, I'm going to let you start this one. We'll go just a little take on what you think, and we'll mm-hmm. figure it out. So I got a team from the Atlantic, the Metro, the Central, and the Pacific. All I set my own lines like I'm Vegas, over-unders. So the Leafs. Are they going to have over or under 47 and a half wins this year, 50 wins last year, and I think 46 the year before, 48? Like they've been hovering around that 50 win mark. Are they going to be over or under 47 and a half wins this year? I think over. I think they come in at the start of the season, they look better than, they, or they are better than they were last year at the start of the season. So, um, yeah, I'd say over. Yeah, and, I, I, and I'm optimistic, Leafs fan, uh, that, you know, everyone seems to be and gets heartbroken every year. So, Oh yeah, I'm ready uh, to get hurt again. Yep. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I'm the tinfoil hat guy, fucking just fully believing uh, every year is going to be the year. Um, so I say over. So I, I I agree with you, and I'm not being the guy. Well, you never know with injuries. I always hate the people that like be like, you can't predict the future. I get it. The only way I don't think they get 50 wins is if Samsonov goes out for an extended period of time, and I think that kind of hovers them around that. But I still think they're like a 48 win team, regardless. And they're going to be over the 47 and a half line that I've set. So going to the Metro, just an interesting team because they hovered around forever. They went back to back cups um, within the last decade. And it's the Pittsburgh Penguins over under 40 and a half wins. They had 40 last year. They got Carlson. They brought Malkin back. It just seems like the boys are back for one more fucking ride, right? Like, are they going to be over or under 40 and a half wins? Like, I, I'll go first on this one. I think under, like, I don't think that they're like, even with Carlson, like, I don't think Carlson wins them any more games that they won last year. With that being said, man, like that team is scary. If you go to the playoffs, like if they make the playoffs and squeak in and just one power play, two power plays a game, like it's over. That power play is lethal and it's scary, but I still think it's, it's right around that 40 and a half, but I'm going to, I'm going to stick under, like, I don't think they get 41 wins. I think they get 40 and make the playoffs, 39, make the playoffs. And I think that's, that's just that. I'll say, I'll say over. Um, Carlson added to that team. The thing, the thing with uh, Eric Carlson is that he kind of, if if you want him to be effective, he kind of had he kind of changes the way the team plays as a to, as a whole, right? So the reason he was so successful, I think, in San Jose, um, was because it was kind of his team, and he could fucking do whatever. You know what I'm saying? It, it, he was the he was the only guy there. Um, in Pittsburgh, he's not. Um, so I don't think you see like an uptick in performance, um, even though he's with better guys, he's just, it's just, he's just that type, type of player for me. You know what I mean? He kind of, it has to be his style for him to, uh, really perform at the best of his abilities. Um, that being said, I think he's still, he's still a point per game guy probably. Or, well, why don't you say that? There, so. One of my players that we're going to talk about is Eric Carlson. And when I said, oh, okay, sorry. Just, no, no, no. I love it though. Cause but I just, so here's my one stat about Carlson that I'm going to say right now is like, yeah, dude, he had a hundred points last year, right? 101, I believe it was last year, Yeah. but he was the person who was on total goals on ice against Eric Carlson, 139. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I get it. He played a lot of minutes. He played in every situation, but it's like, he has 101 points and is still on for 139 goals against the most in the NHL. That's the kind of player that Carlson is. You're going to take that being on the ice for the most, like most amount of goals against if he scores fucking a hundred points. Who cares? He's going to help you win games regardless. But he is a defensive liability, which is why I just don't think that they're fucking any better. And they're one year older every year, Pittsburgh, right? One year older. But I'm under on that. You're over. Go to the Central. I picked this team because I sucked their dick all last year. 
And on top of it, it was right before the season. They did two seven-year extensions with Hellebuck and Shifley when everyone thought that those guys were going to be gone. They had 46 wins last year. Dubois gone. Are the Jets over or under 44 and a half wins? That one's tough because the Jets could be good, obviously. But there's a lot of room for things to go bad here in Winnipeg. Um, The way the season ended last year, there was a lot of... uh, It wasn't looking good for the future, but uh, it seems like things have kind of settled down and there's a a more positive outlook as the season starts here. Um, I'm pretty sure they they lose their first game against Calgary. However... um, That was a late game collapse, too. They tied yeah. it with like six minutes and let off like three goals in the last five or something. Yeah. Yeah. But you said 44 and a half. Yeah. It's a good number. That's a good line. That's a Vegas type line. I'm going to go, I'm going to go under there. I mean, they traded Dubois, but it was a really good trade. Like you yep. got some pieces back and, and it was uh, uh, pretty much feels like it was the best you were going to do um, in that situation. Velarde's really nice. I love Velarde for they got him back. Yep. Um, and then Perfetti, you're looking for a jump from Cole Perfetti if you want to hit that 45. Um, yep. He's kind of got that top six center role now uh, with with the absence of, um, what's his face, Dubois. Um, Nino Niederreiter, Alex Iapolo, good bottom six. Um, yep. I mean, the team's still pretty deep. The team's still good. Um, but there, I don't know. There's something about Winnipeg that I'm something seems cool. off. Something yeah. seems off. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say under. See, and I I am right around that same like I think that's a great line considering they scored or they, like I said they won 46 last year and you know what Hellebuck wasn't great last year and Hellebuck at, at one point was in the Vesna talk for like two three years in a row like if he has a bounce back it's way over right but if if he doesn't it could go bad. Yeah, it, the reason for me, because I kind of just gassed them up and then without explanation said under. The the thing is for me, like they did conserve some death with uh, with that Dubois trade and I think it was a great trade. However, who's going to be game breaker? So we know Connor's won, but who's going to be an offensive game breaker? Who's going to score the goals? Is well, Shifley going to be that one? Shifley's, yeah. There's a good chance Shifley's that guy, but uh, that's one line. You know what I mean? Like is Perfetti, is Perfetti going to take a jump? Is Ehlers going like to be that guy? Velarde does score a ton, but dude, I think they're worse without Dubois. I just think they're, I think they're exactly, yeah, yeah, way weaker up front. And it's just Josh Morrissey had a career year last year, and I just don't think he does it again. And I don't know if you can rely on Hellebuck bouncing back. I'm with you, Stu. Fuck it, you're talking to me into it. I'm going under <laughs> 44 and a half wins. So this one, I'm going to start, and this is in the Pacific, and this is obviously, an, it, it, this is an obvious one. Seattle Kraken. Over under 45 and a half wins. They had 46 wins last year. Are they in line for a step back? Was it a fluke? Both two things can be true at once. I do think they're in line for a step back. I'm going to go under the 45 and a half wins, but I don't think last year was a fluke. I think they earned every single win that they had last year. They showed it when they got to the playoffs and, and won more rounds than the Leafs did in the fucking past 10 years. Like it like ridiculous, right? I thought they earned it, but I just think the Flames are going to be better. I think the Canucks are going to be better. I think the Kings are still going to be good. The Oilers are still going to be good. And Vegas is still going to be good. With with Calgary and Vancouver becoming better, I just think there's less wins out there for Seattle because both those teams were pretty bad last year. And I just think they go under 45 and a half wins. I, don't think, I just think they take a small step back and they might not make a playoff spot. They might be a wild card team at the end of this year just because of the steps forward that uh, Calgary and Vancouver could make. I agree with that. You saw some bad years from their division, right? So yep. I, yeah, I agree. It's going to be, I think it's a little down step, even though the team's like fairly young. Um, Beniers is obviously a, a stud. Um, Eberle's aging now. And that's like the, these are the top six guys, right? Jared McCann, Jared McCann, had, a year, Jared but- McCann had a big year, but is he going to score 40 again? Like, no. I don't know. Like yeah. I, I, I like Jared McCann and, and, when he was a leaf for fucking half a minute there and he got taken in the expansion draft, I was kind of upset because we I wasn't a, all. yeah, well, I, I wasn't a fan. They gave him the option of it was Kerfoot or McCann and they made the right decision. I liked Jared McCann uh, a lot when he was in Pittsburgh and I was happy to see him on the Leafs, but when, and I'm not obviously as everyone who, who has listened to this podcast quite frequently knows, I'm not the biggest fan of Alex Kerfoot. So I thought Jared, made, Jared McCann was going to be a welcome upgrade. 
Um, didn't work out that way, and, and turns out he scores fucking 40 goals um, in Seattle. Uh, but is he going to do it again? I don't know. I don't watch enough of Seattle, and I haven't seen like enough enough of Jeremy McCann to know if he really is like uh, if he can really like kind of drive a play like that to, and, and create his own scoring, yep. um, or if it was just kind of like a, a lucky a lucky uptick. Uh, it was one know, of those things where it was the first time he was getting first line power play, first line minutes, first line everything, right. and it was just he he was the guy, right? People were feeding Jared McCann. And and that kind of goes into my my players here. I'm I'm starting off with two big boys, and we'll, we'll rip through them quick here. Austin Matthews, um, fifty or less. He had 47 goals in, in 19-20, 60 goals in 21-22, 40 goals last year. Does he hit the 50 goal mark this year? Obviously, he had the hat trick in game one. We're throwing that. Yeah, I feel- We're acting like he's at zero, but does he score 50 this year? <laughs> I feel like it's cheating now that he's got three, so you kind of get like a head start by saying yes. So I'm going to say yes. Uh, he looks dangerous. Uh, yeah, he does. I mean, he always does. It's just like he looks like uh, he looks like there's some steam behind his in, in his engine. You know what I mean? He's uh, putting the shoveling the coal on for this for this season, and uh, he looks like an absolute uh, motor. Well, we talked. We talked about it on the pod last year, and I said the one thing about Matthews that was different this year than than any, or last year, sorry, than any year previous is that it looked like he had a lower body injury early in the year, and he couldn't pull away from guys. He wasn't skating the same, and when he came out just absolutely buzzing in game one, it was like, oh, he looks fully healthy again. Like nothing, nothing looks bad. Like you said, every shot that Matthews takes, it's very similar to the Ovechkin Stamkos, like the dang, most dangerous guy. Every shot, it's like I could that almost went in, or that could have went in, or whatever yeah. else. So. I'm with you. I do think he's going to be a 50 goal scorer again this year. It's going to be right around that number, uh, 48, 49, 50, 51, something around there. And I just think with Tyler Bertuzzi on his wing, it's it's the he's way better than Michael Bunting. Um, and it's more like when it was like Zach Hyman when when fucking Matthews bought at 60. I think it's better. They looked good yep. together the other night. Actually, I like that. I, I like agree. that uh, line a lot. So moving on to the next man, another big man, um, the second best player in the NHL behind Matthews, Connor McDavid. Is he, is he over or under over. 130 points? Over. He had 123 in 21 and 22 in 80 games and 153 points in 22, 23. I'm going to start here. The thing about Connor McDavid that I didn't realize, he played 80 games, 82 the last, he's missed two fucking games the last two seasons. And it's like 130 seems like a shit ton of points, right? Like that seems like a ton. Like you wouldn't put that number beside anybody else. And I'm saying over, dude, he went for 153 casually last year at 82. Like, I felt like it was just he was three points every fucking night. It, it was crazy. And even looking up Connor McDavid's stats in his career is something that that is kind of like I was even shocked about where it was like, Jesus Christ, that production is absurd. Like I haven't I didn't realize I knew he was great, great, right? But I didn't know the point production was that great. And uh I don't know. He's a guy that when he wanted to score a bunch of goals last year, he did it at 153 points. I think he's gonna do it. Um the guy's got what? He's got 851 points in 570 games. I think he goes 130 this year, and I think it's pretty. He's gonna blow by it. He's gonna be 145, 140. Yeah, you'd have to give me something crazy for me to say yeah. fucking under with McDavid. Um, it's just because it's Connor McDavid. I say over easily. He did have a. He's not on pace for that after the first game. Um, well, however, um, once. You know, like that power play last year was humming at like thirty three percent or something like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you have like sixty power play points. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking dangerous, dude. Like, uh, they score like it feels like every game they get a power play goal or two. Yep. So, uh, and, and one, and actually, their only goal against Vancouver was a power play goal. So, um, you just can't take penalties against Edmonton, and if you do, you're getting fucking scored on. So, um, yeah, I say over. All right, two more here because speaking of scary power plays, I we're we're circling back to it. Eric Carlson. Um, 100, 101 points last year, and that's a scary power play in Pittsburgh. I threw his over-under at 75 points. Uh, he, he, like he, I get it. He had 101 last year, right? But also, like, the years before that, which I understand Brent Burns was the number one guy, which really kind of seemed to affect uh, Carlson. But before that, he was... Um, he was 35, 22, 40, 45. Like he hadn't had a big productive year and then went out for 101. 75 points to me is a lot. Um, I do think he's going to lose some time to Latang just out of pure, like if the power play's struggling at all, Latang's going back on it. Um, and 75 is a good number. I- I'm going to say under. I don't think Carlson's a point per game guy anymore, 
And I just don't think that Pittsburgh team is good enough for him to be that. Um, I don't think he's going to drive that whole team. I don't think he's going to really mesh well with Crosby and Malkin for some reason. I just feel like he needs the puck on his stick a lot. He likes to shoot, and I don't know if he, he's not a one-timer guy, so I think he's it's just one of those things. I don't think it's the perfect uh, match made in heaven, let's just say, as much as like a, a Shea Weber with, with Malkin and Crosby in his prime, just stand there, pass me the puck, and be ready for a one-timer. Uh, Carlson's not that. I'm going to go under 75 points. What do you think? Um, I'm going to say over because I have him on my fantasy team and I need those uh, <laughs> power play points. So, yeah, I say over. Um, last year, I, yeah, he found his rhythm again, I think. Obviously, he had uh, everybody thought he was done and he came back. He's with a better team now, but I said earlier already that I don't think that means he has a better season. Yep. Uh, however, I watched the first Pittsburgh game or, or at least part of it and he looked good at there. He was a dash too. But we know who Carlson is um, when he doesn't have the puck on his stick. But uh, he, he, he was making, I don't know, he was moving the puck well. So I think uh, he still looks like a, a stud um, offensive guy out there. So I think 75 is a good line. I, just, I think he, I think over, though. That, yeah, I, I think it's going to be right around that. I, I, yeah, I can't argue with you at all. Last line, you said it yourself. Connor Bedard over 35 and a half goals over under you set that during the Kyle Bukowskis interview of does he have over 35 and I thought you know what I'm gonna throw it on you because we and you didn't answer that question um and I know we're gonna be on opposite sides here I think huh Kyle said over pretty confidently dude I watched the first game um and he looked fucking gross man so um he's a little he looks so young though compared to everyone but the problem is is um, Taylor Hall just got hurt, so yeah, lack of talent around him. Uh, yeah, he's gonna be playing out of his own end a lot. I thirty-five is tough now, and he's doesn't have Taylor Hall in that wing. Like, who's gonna be? <laughs> I'm trying to think who's gonna be that guy. Um, is it gonna Perry? be? <laughs> no, no, it definitely won't be. What it's gonna be? Well, I know. I think it was Ryan Donato started out there, but Taylor Hall's down. There's Tyler Johnson. Yeah, I don't know. Jason Dickinson. Orlinson. No, I don't know, dude. Uh, exactly. I think it's, it's going to be, uh, I'm going to say un, under, but I might eat my words there. No, and I, I'm right. He does look you. electric, man. He does look electric. It, it reminded yeah. me of when, like, uh, Cole Caulfield came in against, remember, he came in against uh, the Leafs in that yep. round one series, and that, and everyone was like, uh, "How good is this Cole Caulfield kid?" Like, let me see, right? Yep. And uh, he looked pretty fucking. He looked pretty nasty. Connor Bedard's like a couple years younger than Caulfield was at that time, and it's like that same thing as me. Like, he's kind of on a shit team, but he gets his he gets his chances. Um, he's not playing with like the best line mates, but he still like looks out there and or like, gets some good shots on goal, and he's got an absolute fucking laser and he drives his own fucking production. So he scored last night, so yeah. he's on pace, on pace for, for that's on pace for 41. Yep. So <laughs> I might eat my words there. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm going, I'm going go, under as well. I'm but the thing is, is that Jared McCann scored 40, you know what I'm saying? So like, why can't Connor Bedard, you know what I mean? Because that's yeah, the thing Jared for me. McCann at least had like Everly and Vince Dunn and like actual guys who have been around the league that have played and on top of it, it wasn't Jeremy Cann's first year playing in the NHL. I think it's going to be tougher for Bedard because, dude, he already going up against a number one uh, defensive pair every fucking shift now in the NHL, it's a big step up. I think he's going to be able to do that. But when they don't have to worry about literally any fucking body else, I, yeah. think he's I think he's just going to have a tougher time. I don't think it's a bad thing if Connor Bedard has fucking 70 points and 30 goals. I just don't, yeah. I don't think he's going to have 35 just because there's nobody else there to take any pressure off of him where all the focus on every team is just going to be, you take out Bedard and we're going to fucking kill this Blackhawks team. And I, I just, he's great. He's still going to score 30. I just, I'm confidently under that 35 marker. And that's, that's, that's my over under game for the NHL season. We'll do a little bit more prediction shit as it goes along. We'll probably do one for the NBA season as it comes up. Um, we got to get going, but any thoughts on the, Logan Paul, Dylan Dennis fight for you? Logan Paul, Dylan Dennis? I don't know, dude. I guess yeah, that's, that's that's this weekend, right? Yeah, it's the 16th. It's just been taking over social media. Like, you can't not get away from it. Like, like I'm probably going to watch, yeah. 
So, um, I don't like they're both scumbags. You know what I mean? I happen to like, or I happen to hate Logan Paul a little bit more. You know what I mean? I think he's like, I think he's a terrible person that tries to act good. And I think, uh, um, not that I want to gas up, use this as an opportunity to gas up his brother. And I don't think much of his brother, like in the grand scheme of things, but I think his brother is a better person that tries to act bad. So I saw that comment the other day and I was like, you know what? That kind of makes sense. So, um, Logan Paul is a fucking loser. Um, don't like that guy. And if you do, um, you got to revisit your fucking, uh, your, your ability to judge people. Um, so I would be happy to see Dylan Dennis win. Um, but I don't know if he does. I'll say that. I don't know. And, and I don't give a fuck what type of person Logan Paul is or Jake Paul is. I just truly, I don't give a fuck. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't give a fuck to watch Logan Paul fight either. But when Jake Paul is fighting now, I kind of like my eyebrows are a little bit interested and I want to watch, right? And I've never gave a fuck to watch Dylan Dennis do a jiu-jitsu match because if you're watching jiu-jitsu for real, then you're a psychopath probably <laughs> who's trying your moves on your fucking girl at, at, right after you're watching the jiu-jitsu tournament. So maybe settle the fuck I down. I do that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but then again, I've never watched Dylan Dennis fight in Bellator and I've never been fired up to watch a fucking Dylan Dennis fight or a Logan Paul fight. So I really truly like, I'm only interested in this because it's been all over my social media, like T Swift and Kelsey for the last like month, like yeah. lawsuits and fucking pictures and chirping. I don't even know what the hell's going on, but it's like, I might, I'll watch, but it'll be the most disappointing fight I think of all time. And also I don't give a fuck to watch the next one either. Tommy Fury and KSI. I didn't even know who KSI was at one point. Like, th- and like I'm talking eight months ago, I had no clue who KSI was. People were like, he's huge. It's like, where? Like, I don't know. Never yeah. seen the guy in my life, right? So I don't really care about the card, but I probably will tune in now just to see Dennis and Paul, and I think it's going to be absolutely horrible. I think it's going to be horrible, and if I see these two hug in the middle of the cage after the fight, I think people should run in the cage and fucking stab both of them because they just, this has been an absolute show and a debacle. If they get hugging and respect each other, I really respect this guy. Fuck off. If there's lawsuits and Twitter and going after wives and shit, like, let's not fucking play that card. And I don't know, it's... It's not something I would ever pay for. It's going to be illegally streamed onto the Kelly Household TV, and that's going to be that. I I mean, I'll probably watch it for a little bit, and if it's garbage, I'll turn it off because I'll say I fucking knew it was garbage. Yeah, exactly. I don't know, dude. Um, Yeah, it'll probably be be fucking pretty mid, dude, to be honest. So you might be be right in that. Like, fucking Logan Paul, like, I don't really give a fuck. Like, he doesn't have the power of his brother. Um, I think he's... Like he's more, he's a better athlete than his brother. It looks like, and he has a little bit of, like you can tell, he's like, he trains boxing. Like he's got some skills. Um, Dylan Danis, I saw the sparring footage with Alex Pajeda, and he sat, and he looks. Uh, I think per, Alex was being very friendly with him, yeah. and uh, Dylan didn't look uh, too great. But you never know, dude. Like I thought, fucking Jake Paul was gonna wash Nate Diaz, and he and he beat him, but like. I thought it was going to be more lopsided, but like as the as the rounds went on, it, it almost ended up. Uh, you, you almost ended up thinking if this fight went to the death, who's winning this fight? You know what I mean? Even in a oh, boxing match, so Bro, so Diaz is just a zombie too. Like he's just right. gonna, yeah. But that's the thing, though. I think you put fucking. This is why I like. I I actually start to you know Jake Paul. I've said it in the past. I I don't like. I don't know who they fucking are as people. I really don't care. But like he, I didn't watch a lot of his fights to start, but now he's starting to pique my interest. Of like, oh, he's actually like. To go, the, like, he earned my respect with the Diaz fight, because I think you put Dylan Danis or even Logan Paul in with fucking Nate Diaz, I think either of those guys get absolutely walked, like, yeah. by Diaz, just because he still kind of had it a little bit and whatever, uh, power didn't phase him. So, yeah, it's a weird thing that I don't care about, but I'm probably going to watch. But then there is something that I care about, and it, it, it had a little bit of a shuffle around, right? UFC 294? Yes, sir. So that is coming up on October 21st, so next weekend. That is coming up. We got Makachev versus Volkanovski is the main event. We got Usman versus Chemaev. We got Ankalaya versus Johnny Walker. What what fights are you looking at? What are you thinking about the mix up on the card? I'm super excited. The only reason that I'm kind of, I'm almost like a tad disappointed was because there's rumors of uh, UFC 297 being in Toronto in January, and there was also rumors that the headliner fight um, for that one was going to be Volkanovski to Puria. So. If Volkanovski fights 
or I mean, he's fighting Islam, so that's not going to be, he's not fighting again in January. Um, so I won't be able to see Volkanovsky in person if that does end up coming to Toronto uh, because and the reason that disappointed me is because Volkanovsky is my favorite fighter right now. Um, yep. So yeah, I'm fired up, dude. I'm fired up to watch. I think he, I thought he won the first one, um, but that round by round scoring decision—that's how it works. We know if you leave it to the judges, like you have no room to speak, right? So um, he lost. He gets his rematch. Um, that first fight might have been. I'm trying. I can't really think of a more entered like a more like a fight where I was like more engaged um, in history than that one. So um i'm really excited i'm gonna be the beers are gonna be consumed that night um and then chemayev is is uh incredibly fun to watch for me and everybody's before okay before the shuffle up the main event like the actual main event was that the chemayev costa fight was the draw to that card Uh, islam obviously pound for pound number three um olivera obviously a huge fan favorite super popular and that's how big Chimaev is, and that's how much people are just interested in Chimaev, whether they hate him or they love him. Uh, that's how much uh, interest he draws. Um, he was that fight against Costa was was the actual that like you know what I'm saying, not the official, but the actual main event. Uh, not so much anymore because obviously Volkanovski, uh, Islam is like a is a there's a storyline there, yep. and it's a big and exactly with like the first fight like. Um, people think Volkanovski won it. Um, now there's kind of like, uh, can he do it again? But this time actually get the judge's decision. Can he finish him maybe? Redemption um, story, yeah. Redemption Ma- story. Exactly. Does Makachev, does Makachev fucking have a better game plan for him this time? Who knows, right? So, and that's pound for pound two versus pound for pound three. Um, so now I'm really excited, really excited for both fights. Because the problem was with Makachev Oliveira was that Oliveira got washed the first fight. Yep. He got dominated in every single second ah, of that back fight. Of the fight. Yep. yep. So, um, yeah, so that makes it better. And then and then Chimaev Usman is really interesting because Usman is technically a 170, right? That's where he's been dominating. And now he's moving up and he's like at one point, he was one. He was the most dominant guy in the in the organization, Last and now he's losing the belt, right? Losing the belt for his first time, right? No, so, he lost the belt and then got beat again. Remember when oh, we were in Ottawa that right. weekend? He lost again, and you're that right, time was right. decision. So he looked like he took a step back in that fight. So now it's going to be weird. Like, is he going to lose three? Or it's going to be like a Tony Ferguson, but even worse situation. You no, know what but I, mean? I, I, I don't know. That, I'm saying not he loses six, but now it's like you went from being the guy, the pound for pound number one, to now losing three in a row. That, there's a chance that happens now. Well, so he's still the number one contender in welterweight, and I really think about Usman while we're on that topic because I just think that's a win-win take for him. It's a short-notice fight, not in his weight class. Even if he loses to Chimaev at middleweight, he'll still be the number one uh, ranked like welterweight. And that's so, correct. like, And it's like a short-notice fight, so even if he loses against Chimaev, who's the UFC, you know, like golden boy right now and like even if he loses taking fight like i just think it's a win-win for him if he goes in and beats chamayev they'd be like holy fuck chamayev's number four middleweight like you have to give uzman those those props and put him in the top three and maybe he gets a shot there and if he loses he goes back down to welterweight as the number one contender um taking a fight on short notice and whatever else i i like that fight a lot i like it a lot more than costa i, I was very uh vocal about how i thought i, I hate paulo costa he's boring to fucking watch he's yoel uh-huh. romero um Great looking guy, great fucking body, should be fucking modeling somewhere. But the fight in the UFC just doesn't seem to be for Paulo Costa. I mean, and, uh, I mean, he's pretty good, man. He's, yeah, I know, but it's just it's one of those things. It's, you're gonna be that good, you're gonna be that cocky, and then pull it like he just never seems to win big fights and pulls out of this one. It's just one of those things where it's, you're a great fucking third fight on the card and the on the pay per view where there's two way better fights than him. Um, yeah, but. With that being said, speaking of the judges are fucking putting in their scorecards here, Stu. I know you had to get out. We already went over top of our time. So any last words between Jay's UFC predictions? And you got any last words for the boys uh, today? Um, I'll stick on the UFC for one second. And I'll just say that I don't think the number, the, the, the rankings, the number one contender, number two contender actually really mean anything. I think the number one contender at the end of the day, the true number one contender is the guy that gets the title shot next. Um, so you could say Usman number one contender. And I, and I think even if he loses, 
uh, or if he loses this fight, I think it does somewhat affect his standing in the welterweight division because um, the UFC is all about matchmaking, right? Building, building big fights and huge title fights, right? Yeah. So if Usman goes out and loses, do you still like, and, and he's lost to Edwards twice, uh, do you still give Usman after Edward, if Edwards beats Covington, for example, and then um, that's the next, that's a fight, right? That's 290, 296, I think, right? Yeah. Um, it's the one in January this year to end out the year. Or December, right? Or sorry, yeah, sorry, my fault. December. So, right. So if if Edwards wins again, like, I don't know if people really want that fight a third time because Edwards already beat him twice. And now if he loses to Chimaev, now it's like, even though it's a different weight class, at, at one point they were both welterweights, you know what I mean? And he just lost. And it's like, do you, now you even want to give it to him less. So I don't think... I don't think that uh, bodes well for Usman in that scenario. He loses. Um, if he wins, different story. Um, and I think there's some up-and-comers that are shooting through uh, the welterweight division. I think of Ian Gary, as much as I hate that guy. I think of Ian Gary um, looking at this and kind of salivating over this thinking if, if, if Usman loses, right, comes yeah. back, comes back down fighting welterweight again. He's not going to get that title shot, especially for the next few fights. You know what I'm saying? There's some, there's some guys at the top of that division. That could be a statement fight for Ian Gary to make after his Vincente Luque fight if he ends up winning that. Um, they kind of end up on the railroad tracks together, and I think that might be the next fight for both of those guys um, if, if Gary wins his and if Usman loses loses against Chimaev, that's the next matchup. And See, and for me, for me, it's a tough in that welterweight division, right? Because the only two guys that, that Usman has really lost to in that division right now, it's Leon Edwards twice. Like, he's beat Covington three times. He's beat Gilbert Burns. He's beat Masvidal twice. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he, he's he's beat all of these top guys like Usman has. So it's tough to be like, I get it. I don't, nobody wants to see that fight a third time. But at the same point, like, He's beat, Usman's beat everyone below him too, right? So like, I, it is it is weird. I get it. Like, I always think that the rankings don't mean shit, and the pound for pound number one doesn't mean anything because it's like if you were to lock two guys in a room, like it, and it's still like if John Jones and Alexander Volkanovsky, like who's coming out of there alive? It's probably not fucking Volk or like any of those guys, but like John Jones, like you know what I'm saying? Like, there's different yeah. things where like pound for pound is tough. All those rankings are tough, but hey, it's about making fucking money fights and making people want to watch, right? Yeah. Um. And speaking of want to watch, you got to want to watch our podcast. Check us out on YouTube. Check us out on Instagram. Check out our, our TikTok, everything. You know what I mean? Just check Love. everything out. One time for the one times. Give us a like. Give us a follow. The boys are rolling through with more episodes. This is episode 44. We're rolling on to 45 next week. We could have some stuff with Ty um, you know, in the works. We're cooking some shit up with Ty. Um, maybe doing some Saturday pods. Maybe doing some stuff just to get him back in the mix if he ever has time. And on top of it, I think we got to give the outro, but Stu butchered it last week, so now I'm fucking shaking in my boots here. <laughs> I'm going to try it, because if you can't be cool, be careful, and if you can't be good, be good at it.